Amen. You can grab a seat. Good morning. We're going to be in Gospel of John, chapter 14 today. So you have a copy of the Scriptures, turn, tap your way to John, chapter 14. And as you are turning there, we're going to be in lots of verses there in and around John 14, but I want to just read verse 1 over you and just set the tone of what we're going to be talking about. It says, John 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, This past week, I got to see my grandfather. My grandfather is 93, something like that. And he, uh, whenever we talk about Hope Church and what I do for a living, he always asks me, see, man, how do you know what to keep saying each week? Legitimate question. Every single week, I have to come up here. Every single week, it goes on and on. It's several minutes. How do you have something else to say each week? In his head, that's a very legitimate question. From our side, as pastors at Hope Church, we've got way more than we're able to communicate on any given Sunday. We feel like dump truck type stuff. We really wish this could go longer. And really, it is. It's not not so much, how do you think of a new thing to say every week? It's a lot more like well, how do you know what to feed your kids every week? Some of these parents that have kind of gone before us that Rachel and I want to be more like are people who sit down and maybe they do it on a Sunday night or whatever, and they plan out the week and they talk about who's going to be where through each day and they write out their, their menu for the week. And so they make sure their children get healthy food and maybe even food that tastes good that they can kind of rotate through. It's not all just the next frozen thing. Wow. Very impressive. I think that's probably more uh, a better analogy for what we do on Sundays. We want to make sure that you're being fed with what you need to grow and be healthy. And honestly, you need the same thing kind of a lot. Not always chicken nuggets, but usually broccoli, right? Like you need certain things to get healthy, to grow and to heal. Now, Rachel generally doesn't speak into too often what I say here on a Sunday, But this past week, as we were talking about, we have our schedule for the sermons, and this we usually start the year with these three sermons trying to help give you some biblical content to inform your goal setting for the year. Refocus is what we call it, but for that reason. And she was just talking to me, we were talking about the kind of general subject that I was going to be preaching on this Sunday, and she said, well, what you should tell people is how to keep going when you don't want to keep going thought that was really, she, she took something that we both felt and we feel from people we love around us, and she said it in a really brief way, because I think that's where a lot of us are. You know, new year, new you, you're supposed to be filled with motivation for all these goals, and you're going to come in and attack the world, and this finally is going to be the year that you fill in the blank. But I don't know how many of you really feel that way. It could just be that looking on this past year and looking forward to the next year, if there was a way that wasn't some dark way we don't want to talk about to kind of get off the train, you probably would. And you compare that feeling that I think many of us feel legitimately with the heaven that we see depicted in Scripture, a thing that never ends, 
a thing, and I don't know how heaven's going to work. I certainly don't understand how time will work, but, but this idea that there would be, if there was a segment in heaven like a year, that at the end of a year of heaven, we would all with one big voice exclaim again, right? That it would be good. How do we import some of that heaven joy into our daily lives? Because I want much more from you in 2022 than I got in 2021, not less. This isn't about to be some jubilee year where we just take it off. We got a lot we want to get done this year. And if Hope Church is going to do it, it's got to be because each individual within Hope Church not just sacrifices more. No, it's because each individual within Hope Church has to abide in the vine so that they produce fruit. It has to be that each of us together plug into the heavenly power, the heavenly strength, the heavenly joy that makes you look out even on suffering and say, if it's with you, Lord, again. But how we're going to do that, how we're going to get to that, I want to get to it in the way that... um, I hope you, you as a church are kind of receiving it. There are certain themes, there are certain repeated passages that come up at Hope Church because we're trying to train you to have a certain reflex towards certain parts of Scripture so that you have, when you, when you start to kind of lose that momentum, you start to feel your anxieties overwhelming, they, they get more and more, they increase daily, and they, they get to a place where the steam is coming out of your ears, you get to those places, you have a reflex that goes to specific portions of Scripture. Josh and David do so well with that on Sundays by, by bringing you to parts of Scripture that are impacting them personally, but that are also supposed to be places you can go for that grace. Romans 8, it's a pinnacle of Scripture. Psalm 90, which we sang. These beautiful places where you can go and find and hide in God's grace, finding again that that truth of the gospel that is supposed to kind of import hope into you. But when you see in Scripture what we are called to, and you look out over a whole other year of doing exactly that or trying to do that to a greater degree, John 13 through 17, it's many different chapters, is a place that I want you to go. And here's the reason why. I was reading recently in 1 Corinthians 16. It says in verses 13 and 14, at the end of the epistles, you'll generally get these kind of like scattershot different commands as he's just throwing out. He's kind of clearing out everything else he's thinking of before he ends the letter. And Paul says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. That kind of thing is par for the course within the New Testament because that's the kind of thing that God expects from us. And yet, just reading those verses, don't you get a little tired or at least a little anxious? I do. If I'm called to be your pastor, that part of what I'm supposed to do is shepherd. So a sentence like, be watchful, okay, am I being watchful? Do I know what's going on in your soul? Do I know what's going on in your family? I mean, I don't have to pry. I don't have to know all the details, but, but do I at least know you as well as a friend so that I can love you and say, hey, this, this needs to change. This maybe should be different. Have you thought about this? He tells us to be strong. And then he says to let everything that you do be done in love. How did that go for you over the holidays? 
You have some time with your kids over the holidays? Did you do everything you could or did you do everything you did in love? I mean, I don't know, but come on. It's hard putting two hours together where you're just really trying to do everything you're doing in love. I was at my in-law's house for like a week. Everything you do there, it's not out of joy. It's all got to be out of love, and it's hard. And he's calling us to this incredibly high standard. Well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we understand what it is to find not just God's commands, but God's resources for the incredible things he's calling us to. If you're thinking about 2022, your goal setting, you're trying to at least get back to the way that you sort of think of yourself in the faith, you have this view of yourself as somebody who's consistent in scripture and consistent in giving and consistent in showing up on Sundays, and you, you actually do have some sort of relationship with the Lord, and golly, that hasn't been happening recently, but you're going to, you're 2022, you're going to at least kind of get up to that picture you have of yourself. Well, the way I want you to do that is with gospel. And the way we're going to do that is by looking at the flow of what Jesus said in John 13 into John 14. John 13 through 17 is what we call the upper room discourse. Goodness, help us. We need to snap your title. Sermon on the Mount, that, that works. Upper room discourse, less so. However, it's the time at which Jesus speaks to his disciples before going to the cross. And it's long. It's longer than the Sermon on the Mount. And it's beautiful. I want you to read it. I want it to be a thing that you read, not just once, but repeatedly, so that it gets down into your bones and you can kind of feel what's being said and the, the way in which the disciples are hearing what's being said. And in order to do that, I want you to understand how at the end of John 13, before John 14, 1, where Jesus tells them not to be troubled, as you get towards the end of John 13, you see that, yeah, they were actually pretty troubled. I want to spend a minute here because I want you to allow in this space... Before we get to the gospel, I want you to allow yourself to actually feel some of your own troubles. I mean, most of our life is built around distracting ourselves from those troubles. I want you to actually feel them for a minute. I want it to hurt for a second. Not because I want you to hurt, but because I want you to have a clear-eyed understanding of what you need Jesus to address in your life. To do that, I'm going to use the disciples and their stress in order to kind of invite you to, to fill in the blank in your own life for these some of the things that you're feeling as well. As you get towards the end of John 13, the disciples seem to be understanding that Jesus is saying he's about to leave them. And you can imagine what that would feel like if you're one of his disciples, you're one of these men who has given up everything to go after him and to follow him, and you have these hopes that he is going to be the one who will redeem Israel. He's going to make everything right. He's going to make all the sad things come untrue. He's going to give you these, these blessings, and you have in your head what these blessings are, and they haven't come yet, but maybe soon. And then he is saying to you, he crushes the whole dream, he pops the balloon by saying that he is leaving. Imagine how that would make you feel. It says in John 13, 33, Jesus tells them, little children. <laughs> it's like he emphasizes how helpless they are with his title. He doesn't say, gentlemen. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You'll seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. You know what it feels like 
to be a puppy and watch people leave? Like shut the door? I imagine the dog just sits there and stares at the door for minutes, maybe hours, waiting, 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 waiting. You know what it's like to be a little kid? Happens very infrequently, but it does happen where a child thinks that they're home alone. Probably they're not. I mean, that movie was funny, but it doesn't really happen, right? You're not really home alone, but you're a little kid, and all of a sudden, protection is gone. Parents just gone. You feel what that feels? Simon Peter says to Jesus in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? (laughs) Is this a question of whether or not we will follow you? Just tell us where you're going. We'll, We'll do it. Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you'll follow afterward. They feel the stress. They feel the darkness. And then it goes even further because Peter, who is the leader of these guys, Jesus has given him that sort of role. I mean, he kind of stumbles into it, but Jesus has given him that, that role. And, and he says to Peter that his faith is about to be shattered. He tells Peter, so, so verse 37, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Again, if this is willingness, uh, I'll lay down my life for you. And you imagine all the other disciples in that room in that moment are probably feeling the same thing. You know, they hear Peter say that, and there may be a little bit of like a roll of the eye because blustery Peter. But they probably do feel the same desire to say, yeah, absolutely, I'll lay down my life for you. It feels good to say it. It's hard to know if you would really do it or not, but it feels good to to affirm that, and I bet they did feel it. And yet Jesus takes even that and just shatters it, shows it to be what it is. When Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. No, no, you don't. You don't have this overwhelming strength. You don't have this overwhelming constancy, bravery. No, you're not much. Doesn't mean I don't love you. But he takes away that, that, that thought that maybe they can, they can endure what's about to come just through their own strength, just through their own grit. They're troubled. They're stressed. And Jesus meets that moment by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. You skip down, and apparently Jesus saying that has not worked because they're still freaking out. It goes down in verse 4. Jesus finishes what he had just said, and we'll get to it in a second. But he finishes what he just said by saying, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, and Thomas is doubting Thomas. He's the one that we know said later in the Gospels, you may not know this, but he was one of the disciples who said after the resurrection, he wasn't in the room when Jesus came and he showed himself to the disciples. (laughs) What a meeting to miss. But he wasn't in the room, and so he says... They tell him, resurrection, and he's like, Pshaw, I'm not going to believe that until I can put my fingers in the nail holes and my hand in the spear hole in that risen Jesus' body, which, you know, big thing to say. And then Jesus shows up, and he's like, all right, Thomas, here you go. But he gets that nickname, Doubting Thomas. He was probably a pretty practical guy. And you see it here. This Jesus is still talking about how he's going to go away, and they can't come, but they will come, and you know the way. 
And Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? If we don't know where you're going, how can we know how to get there? Very practical question. Answer for yourself where your own stress is right now. Because you're asking these same questions. You're feeling this same exasperation with God, if you're honest. When you look at the new year, when you look at your life, think about your kids. Are they on exactly the track you want them to be on? Are we going to baptize them this year? Or are they rebellious? Oh, it's hard. It hurts your heart. It's stressful. Think about your job. Is it exactly what you want it to be? You can't wait for Monday? Or is it maybe not so much? Maybe it's terrible. Maybe it's not terrible. Maybe it's just sort of soul-numbing. It's not terrible. You just don't love it. You don't feel like you're even that good at it. And yet you have to keep doing it. Where is Jesus in this stress? Where is Jesus in this trouble? How's your marriage? Is coming home at night a bit of a nightmare? Where is Jesus? I don't even know where you're going. How are we going to get there? I'm not even sure what you want me to be doing. How am I supposed to be taking steps to get there? Can you feel their frustration? Do you feel it in your own life? Maybe it's kingdom stuff. You're looking at what you're hoping to happen for God's kingdom, and you just feel like there's no way. There's just no way. And we've invited all of the members of Hope Church to keep a journal. It's not something we're going to test you on, but just to keep a journal of every time you get to share the gospel, every time you get to speak about Jesus to somebody that doesn't know him. And it's helpful because when you do that and you keep up with it, it allows you a, a way to remember who you're praying for and maybe you can strategize. Maybe there'd be a time where I can invite them over again, yada, yada. How's that going? Are you just buying lots of journals because you keep filling them up? He said, knowing the answer. Is there sin in your life? There's something in your world that you hate, but you just keep doing. You keep telling yourself, that was the last time. That, that, I'm definitely not going to do that this year. <laughs> but if you're honest with yourself, you can feel the choking stress of knowing that you do keep choosing it. Maybe it's just apathy. You don't really feel any of this too much because you've, you've built a wall between yourself and God. You don't expect much from him. You're not looking for anything, really. You, you want to just be left alone. But eventually that runs out as well. Of course you know that that's not going to work. And Jesus speaks to all of these people, to, to all of this stress, to all of these troubles. And he says what he says in verse 1 and what he says in verse 6. Because he says to Thomas, Thomas says, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get any solutions to these problems? We don't even know how you're going to fix them. How are we supposed to do the part that you want us to do? And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
makes it so clear and so plain. I'm right here. I know you're freaking out. I'm right here. Put this in any other context. Um, I'm going to tell a very relatable story. I was taking a shower. And as I was taking a shower, this was in the last year, taking a shower, I turn and just shatter the shower head. Super relatable. You've all done this. Your elbow's at the shower head. So you just turn and crack. Oh, no. Water spitting everywhere. Because, again, you know, uh, when I shower, it's a little bit like Elf, right? You just kind of have to hit the water up to your face. And I turned, and it just broke, and the water's going everywhere. And I turned off the water, and it turned off. Whew. But now, I've got no shower, and I've got zero ideas on what to do next. I start Googling, and I get even more confused. Then I call my friend Anthony, who's a plumber. You guys know Anthony. Or maybe you don't. You should. He goes to Hope Church. Anthony Cole. And not only does Anthony know exactly what to do, he takes care of it in like a text message. He says, did this, did this, did this? And I was like, no, yes, no. And he goes, okay, great. And he shoots me a text with the item, the aisle, and the bay number that I need at Home Depot. He's like, yeah, you put this tape on, you screw that on, turn it on, it should work. If not, call me. I'll make sure it works. And he just said that because he knew, like, nothing's really idiot-proof, right? <laughs> My aunt always said that. Whenever they make something idiot-proof, they always build a better idiot, you know? Uh, so nothing's really idiot-proof. So call me if you need me. But he knew. He had told me exactly what to do. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what the solution was. Can't panic when Anthony's around if you've got a plumbing problem. We used to have this guy, uh, Noah Say, another person who goes here to Hope Church. When he was a single guy, he lived with Rachel and I. He lived in our downstairs. While he was kind of making things work and getting his career going, he stayed with us for a while, and it was a huge blessing. We love Noah. Noah is the oldest of 11 children. David has seven children. That's like a mega family. That's not even a family. That's a mega family, having seven children. Having 11 children is like having families. That's not even a family anymore. It's plural because seven plus, they still have a huge family if you add to what David already has. They have a gigantic family. And one time we were having a community group and there's all these infants downstairs at community group. And one of the ladies at community group was downstairs doing childcare. And we heard the tears of children downstairs and then we didn't. We went down and we tried to figure out what had happened. Well, the lady had like several crying babies that she was trying to care for. And then Noah happened. She's trying to calm the babies down. You know how that can go. One baby's crying, another baby's crying. You try to get this one settled. They don't really want to be settled or sat down. And you go to help the other one. That one starts crying again. And then a third one starts crying. But Noah came in and he's raised like six kids. He's the older brother. So he came in and he knew immediately and he had just calmed all the infants. You can't worry about a crying baby if Noah stays around. Because he knows how to chill out a crying baby. Why are you so anxious? What's your big problem? Because Jesus is right there. Oh, you can feel like these disciples are just idiots. They're freaking out about all this stuff. And Jesus is saying, hey, excuse me, I'm right here. 
how are we going to get there, Lord? We don't even know the way. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You're freaking out. Just keep your eyes on me. Watch what I'm about to do to fix your problem. You know, your big problems are, are all these things going on in your life. When it comes to your job, when it comes to your kids, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to, to, to sin in your life, the big aspirations you have for a kingdom that are just not seeming to come out. And you're freaking out about all this stuff. Or you're using anything you can think of to deaden yourself so that you don't freak out. And Jesus is just right here. Saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Listen, you want to refocus your faith this year? Focus your faith on him. That's it. That abide in the vine language that we talk about a little bit, that's in this John 13 through 17. Jesus is telling them, listen, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You abide in me and you bear much fruit. So what's the answer? The answer is Jesus. The answer is in this year, in this this hard, difficult, probably going to be at many times overwhelming year, the answer is Jesus. It's that simple. You don't have a technique problem. Um, Let's be real. You probably have 50 technique problems. But you don't really have, that's not your main problem is technique when it comes to reading scripture and praying. Your big problem is that you're trying to use these things to not get to Jesus. Oh, that happens a lot. A lot of Christians will get real busy so that they can use their activity in order to avoid having to just be with Jesus. You got all these other things you're doing instead to just come to Jesus, to just hear his words. John makes it so, um, so clear. It says in John 14, 2 through 4, that the way, in, in fact, that Jesus is going to care for you, he's already accomplished. He says in, in verse 2, so he sort of skipped over this part, but he says, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas has his hissy fit. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, Don Carson, D.A. Carson, who wrote an excellent one-volume commentary on the Gospel of John, makes it very clear here. I think we would all agree with this, but it's nice to have a scholar put his stamp on it as well. That what Jesus is talking about when he talks about going to the Father and preparing a place, he's talking about the way in which he's going. How is Jesus going to fix all of your problems? Well, let me tell you, he kind of already has. Because your biggest problems is whether or not you can relate to God. All this how are we going to get there stuff is talking about how you're going to get back to the Lord, how you're going to be with God. How are we going to be forgiven? I say back to Adam and Eve were with him, and then they weren't. And all of us weren't until Jesus. That he comes and he lives and he takes all of our sin upon himself. He drinks it all down and then he drinks the wrath of God for it until he dies. And then dying rises up. That you and I have the sin that separates us from God and Jesus drinks it up. 
Though your, skin be, your sin be like scarlet, he makes it white as snow. He takes your death and then he gives you life. You see it in all these little ways. David was talking about in Romans 8. He's talking about these little sufferings that also come with these little comforts. You just turn that volume all the way up when you talk about your actual death and your actual resurrection to be with him forever. So, brothers and sisters, you just abide. You abide in his word. You abide in the words that he's spoken to you. You abide with him through prayer. How do you refocus your faith this year? I'm not as worried about asking you to read a certain Bible reading plan or to memorize a certain set of fighter verses or, or to go through and have your prayer life get thrown around and upside down in these different ways. Yes, I want you to be in the Word daily. Yes, I want you to be praying multiple times a day. Yes, I want you to be here weekly. Yes, I want you to be in a community group weekly. Not because of numbers or something and not because of institutional concerns. For your sake. But all of those things are simple means to the end of putting you with Him. Getting your eyes set on Him. So that when chicken with its head cut off, you go flapping and bleeding everywhere because you're freaking out about whatever your problem is. You can put your eyes on the one who has already solved it who has the power and has the willingness to fix it. You're going to refocus your faith? That's what we're going to do this year. I'm going to finish by reading this beautiful thing he says to you. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I pray as we go to take this Lord's Supper, that you would take this picture of the gospel and use it to write on our hearts that confidence in your love. The question is just, do you have the ability to help us? And do you have the willingness to help us? And in the cross, we get the answer to both of those questions. And the answer is yes. You have the power, Father. You have broken death and given life. And you have the willingness because you chose to do that, even while we were still sinners. Lord, please let that beautiful gospel song be sung in our hearts and in our lives so that our eyes are focused on you and that, that drip of heaven is just continually in us so that we wake up each morning and say, again, again, again. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.